I'm not going to be prescriptive. I'm not going to tell women how to live their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think we should have space for all body types. But personally speaking, I don't find radiation sickness sexy. Coming to you live from the Umbrella and Suntan Lotion concession stall, deep within the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki, it's the Hardcore Genki Hour! Yay! Yay! Hey, hey kids, do you, you like nerdy, nerdy things? things? Do you like fun things? Do you like getting excited about stuff? Do you want two geeks talking? About what they've watched, read, done, and made in the last two months? Well, hold on to your beach towel. Because now it's time for... The, the Hardcore, Hardcore Genki, Genki Hour! Hello and welcome to the Hardcore Genki Hour. I'm Laura, Pink Apple Jam Watton Davis, and hey, wait, are we actually on time this month? Depends how quickly I get the edit done. And I'm Andrew Raggedy Man Watton Davis, net runner on an internet superhighway traffic jammed with Keanu Reeves memes. Oh, Keanu Reeves mm. memes, yum. And this is the June 2019 update on our world of comics, films, TV, conventions, creations, and generally being excited about stuff here at the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki. Because if something's worth getting excited about, it's worth talking about. And David Winterbottom, one of our valued listeners, has something he wants us to talk about. As he got in touch with us and said, Netflix keeps slapping Netflix original on things. How do you feel about them doing so for various anime? Does a new dub qualify as an original? So the first thing I'm going to address is, are Netflix actually making original mangas or are they just lobbing their name on the front of stuff? Uh, for that, I sat down with Wikipedia, highly scientific, and went through all their current listings. They got 38 animes listed as Netflix original, and of that lot, 17, which is about half-ish, have been produced by Netflix directly. So, and the way I defined that is it got announced as being distributed on Netflix. So they were part of the chain mm -hmm. when it got launched. It was like, yeah, this is going to go on that. Uh, there were... 15 existing productions that Netflix went and got the license for. There were three existing series that they took over. So they announced like a, a further series of it, which, you know, that, that to me would count as an original because they're the ones in the, in the chain. That's Forest of Piano, High School Girl and Seven Deadly Sins. And Seven Deadly Sins is an interesting one because they took that over from Crunchyroll. Hmm. So you've got animes actually swapping stations hmm. two of the series were ones that netflix got the license for but were also simulcasting with japanese tv so they were again directly involved in but they then opted to um do it next netflix global but japanese tv uh, broadcast tv for the japanese audience that's Lost Song and Kuromokuro thank you you're welcome uh, and one that they that they bought and then reskinned for a global market. That was Smile Precure that's got turned into Glitter Force. Mm -hmm. And so they are making a lot. I'd say they're making a lot of original manga if you take them as part of the chain. The one that they um, effectively did a new dub on, from my understanding of it, they took Smile Precure and then they globalised it quite heavily. They did. I mean, Pretty Cure is Japan's industrial bandai wagon of magical girl shows there's mm -hmm. actually about 13 i'd guess pretty cure shows out there at the moment right and this was like show number i don't know they plucked two series non-chronologically yeah they reskinned it yeah they did it i think they just chopped out one or two episodes but isn't that what happened to anime in the 80s and 90s anyway it is now given the fact that you know in the first place translation is an art rather than a science so you've got the whole issue of some if someone does a faithful dub does that count as a new you know would that count as a new original work because there is some artistry involved um, for me probably more so in the sense of pretty cure where mm. i think only the first season of pretty cure came out around 2004 2005 and then we didn't hear anything no. i'd love to see that original series again actually so something like battle so, for the planet i honestly i think if people throw enough money at it they can call it what they want oh. because i think the purists are going to torrent it anyway <laughs> and it's yeah. like you know we have a lot to thank netflix for they've basically got anime into the living room in the 90s and 2000s the bbc and other tv stations they they didn't and they never gave a crap about anime mm. it was like two decades worth nothing existing like 
we used to get a lot. We used to get BRB animation co-productions. BRB? Uh, BRB is, uh, I think, a Spanish animation studio because um, they made Dogtanian, Willy Fogg, Sander mm. Can, and they basically... The good shit. They produced a lot of animations with Japanese anime studios. Mm. If you want to globalize something, then if you put the money into it and invest it, you can call it what you want. You um, know. So I think does Netflix deserve that? It deserve that title of Netflix Originals? Is, I think a lot of people would say probably not, but I'd give it to them. You know, okay. they're they're investing. They can call it what they want to be honest. I think I think with the ones they're investing, I mean, definitely the ones that they 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 were involved with directly. I think that's. Easily. It's probably less cheeky. I think when it comes to something like Evangelion, and they're calling that a Netflix original, they can technically call the new dub Netflix original, but being as Evangelion was on sci- sci-fi TV, yeah, and it was distributed on DVD by AD Vision, and, you know, is I'm, it really an original? That's, that's you know? the thing, because I, I, I see what they're doing as, as joining the, the committee. Uh, yeah, they're a funding huge, it. A yeah. huge number of Japanese animes are done with multiple funding sources, multiple people employed, employed in the site, the the chain. So I think definitely with um, the ones that they got in at the start, either where someone went, I've got this idea, and they then went, okay, we'll buy it, or they went looking for something, and fa- and someone went, well, we've got that. You know, either them going and buying stuff. I mean, as they have. I think that. I think that's fair enough to say they're original because that's the same as any other production company. With the with Eva, I don't, I can't on that. I, I, as I say, translation is an art, not a science. And if you're going to do a full re re, you know, a full redub where you're, you're making new scripts, you're reworking it to be more faithful or a better better job. I oh, I kind of get why that could be an original, but I don't. I'm going to look at it and just go, no, it's another remake. It's probably a bit cheeky of Netflix, yeah. but at the same time, if they're pumping money in, yeah. um, from a committee point of view, they are quite within their rights to do oh, what they yeah. want. They can label it how oh, they no, want. I'm... Because if people who torrented anime for like over a decade or whatever in the 2000s, in the drought, instead of spending money on actual anime, then maybe they only have themselves to blame. <laughs> yeah. You know. I, I, I think <laughs> I would just say, you know, going back to the question, I'd say I think something like Glitter Force where they're yeah. doing a, a, a complete rework. Yeah. Don't have a problem with calling that. I mean, with the stuff that they have absolutely done, you know, the, the 17 they've actually done, fine, call yeah. it an original. With uh, Glitter Force, which is a complete rewrite, essentially, they're just taking they're taking the images and then they're making a new story. That I don't have a problem calling Because it's you like know- Battle of the Planets, plus they put it under a different name. So they're making a new work from it. Well, actually. <laughs> well, actually. Well, actually. <laughs> so, I've got a badge for that. You do. So Glitter Force, the first season, and there's another Glitter Force, um, Doki Doki. Mm-hmm. Um, so the original Glitter Force on Netflix, that was more of a reskin, okay. re-script. Um, they basically did what they did with Samurai Pizza Cats and some of the later Crayon Shinchan dub where they just threw in a whole load of extra jokes. It was essentially mm. the same core story. Netflix didn't write the story. They purchased it but did their own script. However, Glitter Force Doki Doki was actually really boring mm. because it was such a direct translation um, it was really clean and straight, but it was just, it didn't have anything for older no. viewers in it. So, if anything, Doki Doki was more, or Doki Doki, as they called it. Um, Doki Doki. Doki Doki. That's they, a bad choice. They should have called it, like, Okie Doki. <laughs> so, you know, it's like Glitter Force Heartbeat. Doki Doki. Because, you know, that's the, obviously the sound I, of your heart makes Doki 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 when you see something really exciting. Yeah. But yeah, Doki but not Doki. Doki Doki. Yeah, Okie Doki Doki Doki. Um, yeah, I'd say that argument would lend itself to if we if I was going to be mega picky the first. Yeah, it's cheeky probably, but yeah, I really yeah. don't care. I think I think that's my summary. Lol opinions. <laughs> so anyway, if you have feedback or anything you want us to discuss, you can mail us at superfortresshg one word at gmail Tweet us at Hardcore Genki, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and pretty much everywhere on the internet, as per the details at the end of the show. Meanwhile, on TV.
Good Omens is a mini-series based on the 1990 novel of the same name by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. A co-production between Amazon Studios and BBC, the six-episode series was written and created by Neil Gaiman, who also served as showrunner, and it was directed by Douglas McKinnon. The series stars an ensemble cast led by David Tennant, Michael Sheen, and a whole load of other people, including John Hamm. Which yes. was hilarious. John uh, Hamm was great. Yep. He is brilliant. He's such a hero. Deadpan comedy is such a funny guy. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, you've seen it on the sides of bus stops. You've seen adverts everywhere. It'll be on BBC in a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, BBC Two, I hear. So, Aww. yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, yeah. I don't think anybody cares, to be honest. They just got to find what channel it's on. Mm, BBC so, One, I think, is a pre- is the prestige channel. And I think it's okay. prestigious enough to have been on BBC I One. I guess personally. so. But everybody just streams these days. You know, they just <laughs> aggregate it. Mm. Um, but anyway, good omens. Yeah, I like Terry Pratchett's work. And I love that there's such like a huge, loving and dedicated fandom. So I, as a reader, I never felt the calling that some of the readers have. And I never really fully got into Pratchett but I really do love that there's such a dedicated fan base so I wanted really wanted Good Omens to succeed on this basis and even though I wasn't a massive Pratchett fan when he passed on I was really sad I was sad for my friends because I know that his books made meant so much you know my heart broke so and you know same about Neil Gaiman's work I enjoyed Sandman and Dark Orchid Black Orchid you know a couple of other works that he Mm. did so yeah hearing that they were making this tv series that was great and my expectations were matched speaking as someone who got it the year it came out i was really impressed with the adaptation apart from anything else because it was a book written in 1990 when you had a whole load of the pre-millennial tension going on it was in the zeitgeist it was and also you know a lot of the plot wasn't heavily dictated to by the technology of the time but it was definitely seated in the 1990s so adapting that book structurally and just artistically the story to tv i think they did a great job and updating it and getting you know smoothing off a couple of the edges like the original book notably pretty much just ends and this one they gave and this was neil gaiman doing the work and as he was the co-writer fair, fair play but he gave a good ending that rounded things off. It didn't feel mm. like a tack on to get the sixth hour or anything. It was a good updating. It was a good improving of it and made it its own thing, which I think is pretty cool. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I had, having seen various adaptations of Pratchett and thought they were quite pants, mm. um, just because they were trying to hack, hack it into the TV format and mm. they were trying to make it very accessible to people who didn't know the oeuvre mm. um I, I i i didn't have I, I i had large disappointments waiting to be released <laughs> and then i watched it and i had like one issue with it mm. should we come to that later yeah but so, that's it i had yeah one. yeah i think we have the same issue but and yeah it was a small one yeah. but when that's all i've got Oh, pff, yeah, yeah, overall. So I actually own the book. I am excited to read it. Um, it's in my list, uh, especially now I've seen the series. So I've got a friend online, Lauren, and she uh, reread the book before she watched the TV series, and she did that in four hours. I was very <laughs> impressed. I'm, I, I'm, I like reading, but I'm a slow reader. Um, it's you know, it's it's very weird. How exactly? And I've heard this, uh, which is really encouraging. It's you know, like I said, I like reading, but uh, I think for me. Because I used to voraciously read as as a kid, mm. um, and I think with all health problems and things, I think I actually got not only did I get out of the habit, but I lost confidence because of fatigue issues and mm. concentration issues, and memory issues. So uh, I mean, you know, I entertain myself with TV and drawing and whatever. But yeah, I've been able to get back into reading, so that's mm. on my list. It is. That's good. Oh, it's, it's, it, it's a good read, and there's some brilliant right. I wouldn't say it's a difficult read. It's not that there's complicated sure, writing. Sure, sure. It. It's, it's a journey. All Pratchett's books are a journey, yeah. I found, that what few I've read. But in this one especially, because you've got two brilliant writers, I think it's quite impressive that the writing is as easily digestible as it is and mm. still brilliant. This, uh, The only criticism, and this is the one criticism I've got of the entire show, and please don't think this is me saying it's bad. This is me saying this is the one thing that slightly griped me, was that I thought they were trying to stick too closely to the book in that 
um, they included a lot of the prose as voiceover. As well as showing it. Yeah. Mm. There was a couple of times when they, they the, the voiceover was essentially redundant. Mm. Um, and there were a couple of times where it would just have worked so much better as if they converted it into people talk, you know, into, into, into script. Into people... script. Or just show and don't tell. You don't have to yeah. do both. And I think, I think it's because Pratchett's prose is so loved. Yes. You know, and Gaiman really wanted to um, play utmost respect and not chop it out. And I, but I just think, I agree, I think it was one or the other because it made it into a bit of an ordeal. It, it because was there was jarring. no need. It was, yeah. like, it yeah. was like the voiceover in Blade Runner. It was. Uh, yeah. It wasn't bad. Yeah. But when it turned up, it was really obvious. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that Gaiman, who probably more than anyone else knows what he and Pratchett wrote. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate why Gaiman kept a lot of it in. That's the that's the most I can say bad about this because everything else, I mean, frankly, it was great. Even the little details. Yeah. Like the fact that Adam and Eve were African. Well, yeah, they were, because the Garden Eden was supposed to be like in that down in Africa yeah. bit, but it, and, and it was just, it wasn't a thing. It was just a thing. You get what I mean? Yeah. It, and it felt very accurate. It felt, and I yeah. was really happy for the Uber fans who were going to just lap it up. You know, it's great. So for me as a fan on the outside looking in, so observing those Pratchettisms as mm. well as watching them as a viewer, you know, I never got into Hogfather or any of the other adaptations. I've only read a few Discworld books. But, you know, what I saw, I thoroughly enjoyed. It was nice because I enjoyed it on my own terms. Mm. And I also enjoyed it because I knew other people would enjoy it as well, you know. Say what you were about Hogfather. I mean, Hog yeah. Hogfather is a great example of where the TV's got Pratchett wrong. Mm. Because it it was brilliant to watch if you knew Hogfather. But if you didn't... If you didn't, you were lost. No, I was so lost, like... 10 minutes in or something because there was so much they were trying to cram into such a short space you know and that's great if you're a mega fan that's going to be loved by mega Mm. fans but yeah uh, you know i'm a viewer as i said from the outside looking Mm. in but i thought the series was super duper so it was really satisfying and i thought i would hate is it azra fowl as azra azra fowl as I thought I would hate Azza Raphael for being like too prissy. Like I thought it was just mm. going to be one of those irritating characters. Um, and then I thought the series would be biased towards Crowley for being, you know, your stereotypical lovable rogue. We discussed when we were watching it, didn't we? Like people always root for the bad guy or the devil yeah, so you and get to stuff. Do the stuff you can't do. Exactly. But I feel how they depicted each character was quite balanced, and I did end up loving both characters. Oh yeah, you know, because they had. They had the good guy being bad and they had the bad guy being good. But in both cases, it was very logically... Yeah. There was a logical transition. Yeah. There was a believable blurring of the lines. Yeah, and you felt really awkward for them. Like, they just wanted to... They enjoyed living on Earth, which was yeah. high praise for Earth and people, just, they, <laughs> for they, humanity. They were two, you know. two people that had known each other for millennia. Yeah, yeah. So if the only consistent in your life for 6,000 years... Because as far as the series is concerned, that's how old the Earth is. Deal mm. with it. It's taking heavily from the Bible, and the Bible has opinions about geography, a geology. Sorry. Um, if there's one person you've hung out with consistently for six thousand years, you're gonna be mates with them mm. because you just are. That gets me onto the bit that pr- the from the fandom reaction mm. thing I, I I spotted quite rapidly was a number of peeping people shipping Crowley. And Azeraphal. Well, the internet exists, so people are going to... I mean, people did that anyway, but, you know, I suppose it's on a full throttle. I, it annoyed me. Because why do people have to make a sex relationship? I Honestly? Out of a ship. Yeah. Cause, I suppose they can if they want to, but... Uh, okay. You know. <laughs> yes. Yes, obviously, they can if they want to. Yeah. And I'm not saying otherwise. It's my ship in and I'll ship if I want to. Yeah, but I can still <laughs> roll my eyes at it. Fine. It's, I, you know, it's not your me, thing. This is me rolling my eyes at, eyes at it. The reason I'm rolling my eyes is because I thought it took away the power of their friendship. Because mm. you had two males, or as much as males can exist with, you know, male and female can exist when you're dealing with angelic beings. I don't know the specifics of all that <laughs> shrug and, sure you know two two blokes can be close friends and just be close friends you know yeah totally i get why fandom does this and 
I just think in this place they missed the point completely by insisting that the effectively the social tension of mm. they're not supposed to be mates mm. and then make it into a sexual tension. It's not Cowley. Cal- yeah. Cowley wanted to go after Century with Aziraphale not because he wanted to shag him but mm. because he wanted to carry on existing and he wanted that guy he'd known for 6,000 years with him. Mm. And to insist that that means something more with a lack of evidence other than, yeah, but they're all good mates. Mm-mm. That's... And if there was anything in there to to suggest there was anything more, mm. fine. But I didn't, and I know so you know someone can jump up and down and go, "Oh, but coding and blah blah blah." I'm just like, how about they're just mates, and that's cool because as soon as it it, it shifts it too heavily, and I know, you know, I, that just bugged me. That really. Well, I think people need to. I don't know. It's obviously too boring for people to just have like a nice platonic chummy relationship and i totally get the need for representation sure, and i'm sure. not going oh god no no you can't have these two sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that i'm just going you're like oh it's powerful enough you don't need to change it a it's powerful enough yeah. and b i can't see anything in it that suggests anything else mm. and i've read that book i don't know how many times mm. and yeah okay in this case it just seemed very very clutching at stores and possibly you don't want it to kind of cheapen what it is but you know I, I don't. If there was a sexual, t- if there was a sexual tension between them, I don't think that would cheapen it. I think that would put it in a different light. But I don't think that's what was written. No, no, it's a completely that's, different book. That's all yeah. it is. But is that, I don't, and isn't that shipping in a nutshell, though? Um, an alternative parallel universe sort of thing. Quite possibly. Yeah. But as you repeatedly said, you know, people can do what they sure, want. Sure, sure, sure. But this is me saying. In this case, I just it just seemed very. Uh, an aggressive mm. overreach. Okay. Which, uh, fair. Anyway, away from the whimsy of the end of the world and onto a drama about the actual end of the world. Uh, Chernobyl! <laughs> Recreating the real life events of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster and the awfulness that was a communist rule, this six part HBO series takes you through all the emotions and events of the 1986 nuclear power plant meltdown. From oh fuck to holy shit to oh fucking holy shit, this is awful. Uh, based on meticulous research and the idea that fact can be more awesome than fiction, it's six hours of misery, science and scientific misery that goes through <laughs> the initial meltdown, the attempts to stop the core killing everything, the slow clean up in the USSR trials and reports. Excellent performances, amazing production, surprisingly few knob gags. <laughs> I think there are some knobs in it. <laughs> yeah, but there were no knob gags. I guess not, no. Um, no. They, it was just episodes of stark realism breathtaking scenes somber stoicism i mean don't get me wrong it wasn't like this other than the bit where it all blew up and almost started to poison poison the whole planet that was pretty downbeat but there was hope all the way through it it's just that it was this realistic one it was people assessing an awful situation and going okay what do we need to do there were acts of heroism all the way through it's just that they weren't big acts they're all Mm. simple mathematical heroism if you're standing there and you're like oh so i go into this nuclear death water and i'm gonna die but on the plus side europe doesn't die well yeah all right yeah what else am i gonna do you have to like scenes like the nuclear scientist character giving the uh receptionist the tablets to help extend chance yeah. and things and it was so haunting it was it, well worth it so basically we did what most of the uk did after game of thrones uh now tv subscription continued so we just jumped onto schnobble because obviously you know every, <laughs> people were like oh it's the new game of thrones no. Like, no there's no tits no. there's no dragons it couldn't be anything more further from game yeah. of thrones but i was really pleased actually that we went on from that to that yeah and it's well worth a watch. And I'm really glad that there's not more than the number of episodes there were. <laughs> so, six episodes, I think. I think it was five. But anyway, okay. but it was very short. I and couldn't handle it being much longer. No, absolutely not. So I remember seeing Chernobyl on the news at the time as a kid. Like, even as a very, very young kid, its visuals really stuck with me. 
hearing about the displacement, the sadness, and then the frustration of watching this miniseries as an adult, though. After watching Game of Thrones, it really brings a lot of things back into perspective. After all that fantasy TV, eight years <laughs> worth, mm. and it's just like, bang, actually, here's some reality for you. The way they covered it was great. I mean, number one, acting was great. The, n- it was brilliantly played by everyone, and nothing was over the top. Mm. no one was un, you know there, there was no ridiculous in any direction no one was overly morbid no one was overly villainous I mean the bad guys were the the bad guys but they didn't have like the, 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 the one problem I had was the uh, one of the main characters who was the person in charge of, of the you know the engineer in charge of Chernobyl was played by the dad from uh, Friday night dinner yeah. so whenever the new, everything went wrong I yeah. was just expecting was it what's his oh character? shit on it yeah I was just <laughs> sir sir the nuclear reactor's broken oh shit on it <laughs> we're radiating the Ukraine oh shit yeah you're just sitting there constantly when he's at the <gasps> oh show trial God, yeah. you're just waiting for him to throw a pen across the room and just go harumph well shit on it or just mouth it at someone yeah um <laughs> They covered they covered the actual instance in great detail. Yeah. Okay. And they really explained it super well super at the well. end in the yeah. court case scene at the end. Um, but they also covered a lot of the post incident. Yes. I thought they did very well because there was so much detail in it. But they did that through uh, they they did a lot of the post incident stuff through pastiche and representative so storytelling. So, I mean, it was a gigantic operation with something like half a million people involved, right? But they showed a lot of that experience, especially like the the years after experience, with a quite simple 30 30 minute sequence of the people on on, on animal control, Mm. which was essentially three people going around finding pets and shooting them. But that covered all of the camp life, all of the post-event, you know, that got so much of everything else across. The only bit of that that irked me, uh, and I think, and I get why they did it, but they had the whole of the scientific team played by one person. She did it brilliantly, mm. and it was a great character, but it for a show that was that exhaustively researched, mm. I thought some, I get why they, they did stuff for dramatic license and for dramatic tension, like having the one person as the you know as the whole research team but it was just a bit yeah and that character was fictionalized wasn't she oh yeah i mean she was a gestalt of about 200 people yeah it's i I, i'm not sure how i feel about having this you know if you're going to do something and claim it's really 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 accurate because the last i mean let's let's the last five minutes of it with them clarifying various points that they'd over-egged in the show. Yeah, but you know. And that... No, I get it. Yeah. But when you're doing something that's claiming to be so historical, it's like it's like my objection with um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. There were various historical inaccuracies in that that are now being quoted as historical truths. Mm. Well, the Russians making their own version. <laughs> oh, yeah, they can tit <laughs> off on that. The Americans did it. No, they didn't. Oh, dear. Yeah, I mean, God, there was such a lot of... And it is male ego at play. It was so insolent. It really was. I don't... It was definitely bloat, but I think a lot of that was more just that was the Russian state. And you could easily describe the Russian state as male ego. I'm not saying otherwise. I'm just saying it's more accurately described as the bullshit through which that version of... Fair. Of communism operated. Fair. The memes are a bit weird as well. Like, <laughs> I can't. Oh, yeah. I can't see the graphite on the floor, so it's not there. Change my mind. What it, the hell? <laughs> I was not expecting I, that. I, I was kind of expecting uh, memes, but when they turned up, I was just like, "This is." <laughs> it's. I, I don't know. There's a weird mild survivor's guilt when watching those having a look at those memes so one of my eastern european friends was asked if they found it offensive and the response was basically it's kind of a coping mechanism and also many of the survivors are actually still alive oh yeah they they the the actual effects of it were at the time because it was the first time that had happened yeah the actual effects were really really oh my god could this end life on earth Mm. since then they found out well it it didn't you know mm. this this is going back to what i was saying earlier i mean oh, yeah. well, uh, didn't some of it 
affect lambs in Wales? So nobody ate lamb for no, a pe- while? No, people were worried about it affecting lambs in Wales. Okay. So they advised people, because they never dealt with it before. Of they course didn't know not. It no, scary. of course But this, this, this is what I'm saying, is yeah. that we've now got, I mean, there's, there's various of the claims on the show yeah. that are people are turning around and going, no, that's wrong. That's incorrect. Not debatable incorrect, but here's the big ass number set we got and all the research and you are wrong. So it's yeah. Hmm. Brilliant show. I'm just I think something like that could be just as dramatic without having to take as much dramatic license. Possibly, but then it'd be a documentary and not a TV drama. So you know. Um I start I st- as I said, I think it could be just as good with But it's still well worth oh, watch. So yeah, please not watch it. Otherwise. If you can maybe don't watch two episodes in a go like don't please don't binge it you'll do yourself <sighs> you'll do yourself a damage oh, <laughs> please no. don't black mirror <laughs> yay so black mirror is a british science fiction anthology television series created by charlie brooker it mainly focuses on humanity's relationship to technology and its consequences the fifth series of three episodes was released on netflix on 5th of june 2019 it's cpaf which uh, to listeners unaware that means cyberpunk as fuck was so we watched this season out of order <laughs> we watched it backwards um, and as an anthology it was fine because they're all standalone uh, series yeah. this series does not rely on you needing en- to watch any of the previous episodes and I think that's fab you mm. don't really get that these days do you think it's fair to call it a 21st century twilight zone no because there's a 21st century twilight zone out fair there. <laughs> fair I did not um, know <laughs> I, possibly a, 20, a 21st century outer limits ah uh, yes 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 that had fair. a lot of uh, technology in it and I don't think it's currently on the remake cycle i like the fact that there's an anthology show out there i like the fact that there's an anthology show with a consistent theme an overarching theme and an overarching style because the whole lot's written by charlie brooker so whilst i think co-written it's not just him that writes everything on his own every single episode okay but he he is involved in every one correct yes and he is the overarching he is he is the the linchpin yeah because anthology shows can be a bit des- disparate. They can have ebbs and flows and that. I think having him doing the lot gives it a consistency, which I think is pretty cool. With regards this season, unfortunately, I think that, for me, unfortunately, for other people, they might be digging it even more. Hey, it's fine. I didn't get an f- overwhelming sense of ennui after watching oh, yeah. any of these episodes, yeah, you, so I was quite was, grateful for that. It was a lot, <laughs> It has been noticeably lighter than in previous years. Yeah. The, the biggest, best way I can put it is, is, is they're not dealing with things as much as before. It's a lot more about the characters but as opposed to the ideas. And I get why people like that, but it's stuff like the Ashley O episode, the one that everyone's been going on about far more than anything else. Mm. It had no fallout from the development of functional immortality because they were able, you know, the, they were able to put someone's entire mind into a doll as a living entity. Oh, anyway, we'll disregard that <laughs> after that plot threads go that was a plot point as opposed to like the plot a, a tragic moral dilemma um, <laughs> the kidnapping one had a final message of social media eh mm. what you're gonna do and the most promising story striking yeah. vipers that felt like a lot of the the sci-fi was tacked on and the ending it was a bit of a fudge it was a and, See, the, and everything sort of and it didn't well, really explore the themes in it of identity and sexuality i thought it came to a a good compromise ending but i think i got the vibe that everybody felt quite guilty about it it was very subdued anyway um not gonna spoil that not gonna spoil that they didn't take it head on and it was a little bit you can make up your mind but it wasn't like uh ominous it was a yeah. That's what I mean about it being like. You felt it was a bit of a fizzle, as a f- to a yeah, band. a fizzle. Yeah. It was yeah. it was a fizzle of an ending when the episode had potential to just be bang in your face. We do have it from a legit inside source, so yeah, that Netflix told the ma- Netflix told the makers uh, no real downer endings, nothing too techy, more American celebrities and less brain breaking stories, and it shows. Yeah, well, you know the the well the softer the more inclusive. Yeah. Um, but 
there is a lot of criticism that that edge has been lost now. Perhaps maybe Black Mirror is now to establish the franchise? I mean, there were so many celebrities in this recent season and only three episodes. Did they, like, blow the budget on all, all that? But maybe it's opened the door for more future techie cyberpunky stories to be made you know it doesn't need to be black mirror but having a softer scope means more audiences will feel comfortable watching in some ways that can only be a good thing but you you still need that edge i agree i don't know it's hard it's like maybe if maybe black mirror needs to pass on the baton you know it's time for somebody else to do something now if if black mirror is so popular if someone this this is a problem with stuff getting big black mirror got popular because it was horror because it was you left every episode going holy shit right it was really solid really chunky tv it had this definite bite and this definite tension to it now yes if you soften it up and you make it more accessible more people will watch it but my question is is that still black mirror mm, because exactly i thought this season was solid b stuff b grade stuff mm-hmm. but previously it's been a very precise flavor a grade so the change is very noticeable and for people who are previously fans i think have been very disappointed by this season because of that gear and you can argue oh yeah it's theirs to do with whatever they want all you want but this is me observing as a fan yeah and i don't i mean going back to what you said about bringing more people into the cyberpunk i don't think this season was especially cyberpunk no fair. Um, one of the episodes didn't need any was literally set 10 years ago so that was the level of tech it was predicting right and as i said on the other two they didn't really explore the tech that much mm. and the knock-on of the tech in striking vipers there was like one scene i oh, share about three or four lines that was starting to go into the wider tech but mm. didn't just kind of hinted as opposed to yeah. develop i think if they they like renamed it or something but yeah. you'd lose the brand i get why they haven't but i'm like yeah because it's all about branding now it yeah. would have been better if it was like black mirror with a b subtitle a yeah, B, a B header. It, it, it just didn't black mirror the Hollywood version. I've got, I've <laughs> got to be honest. I, I'll probably watch the next season, but I won't be as holy shit. It dropped today. Oh my god, new Black Mirror, because it's it's not got the bite. I mean, one thing I will say though, I do think the Ashley O story mm-hmm. got massively dumped on. Yep, it was not as bad as people made out. No, I didn't think it was great, but it was not bad. I my personal theory is a lot of people got very haughty torty about the uh, Nine Inch Nails cover. And I know it's a beloved song, but it's 20 years old. It's fucking dad rock. If you can't hack your dad rock tune, getting the mickey taken out of it. Yeah, with their permission as well. They literally gave permission. Oh, it was satire. And um, they are, on Nine Inch Nails' website, they are selling Ashley O t-shirts. And I found out that they'd released the full video via the Nine Inch Nails Facebook page. Yeah, it's... as as, as, as As a parody of Head Like a Hole and as a satire of pop music is brilliant yeah. it demonstrates and this is another reason i think a lot of the of the dad rockers have got pissed off it demonstrates how much from that era of nine inch nails trent Reznor nicked off pop music clearly um and it's i mean you compare the lyrics side by side it's <laughs> a perfect perfect <laughs> satire on it i also think one of the other th- issues with it is the story of what happened the, the story in it it's too close to the to to Miss Cyrus. Um, fair, fair. And I think that made people feel a bit, a bit. Ooh, this is a bit on the nose. How much of this was done to Prove mold a point around or the main star? But, so I, I think that got a little. Well, I got a bit dumped. But on. you know, I also felt it was very much an overall discussion about women in the music industry. I mean, look at the lawsuit between Kesha and Sony, and how women don't really have that much freedom. I think in certain music contracts contracts are very predatory so i think yes maybe it's not a great black mirror episode but it was really good perfect young adult science fiction like we watched it first no i do i think a lot i think a lot of people just shit on it because it was a story aimed at teenagers it was aimed at teenage women at that honestly 
and I have an issue with young adult sci-fi because 99% of the time that means it's basically teenage cyberpunk for girls. You have a problem with that? No. I have a problem with with the fact that young adult sci-fi is this little bordered off, oh, you don't have to take it seriously, like Hunger Games, Be- uh, Divergent, Mortal uh, mortal um, engines. engines, things like that. They're kind of getting filed away from proper sci-fi. And I'm like, no, this is proper sci-fi. It's just aimed at teenage girls. Deal with it. It's still proper fucking sci-fi. Patriarchy. I, I have a problem with the <laughs> term YA sci-fi because it's not young adult sci-fi. It's young women's sci-fi. So get the fuck over it and open it up. I mildly disagree because anybody can enjoy it. But yes, I would say that... Hell of a lot of the protagonists are women. Yes, but it it just shows um, how uh, media for women is ring fenced. Yeah, that's what I've got an objection. Yeah, to. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I cringed at the phrase "young adult." But on the, on the plus side, I think of that. Some members of a cyberpunk social media group we both belong to said that they watched it with their younger relatives, and that was joyous because there is so much cyberpunk stuff out there that's like rapey, misogynistic shite. So it's plus. It's a plus. And maybe when they're up, grown up, I mean, they can watch the rest of that Black Mirror series, you know. So, um, yeah, people shit on it because it's, you know, yeah. a, a bit like in the 80s, oh, it's a cartoon for girls. It's like, fucking just watch it. Just I, enjoy it, yeah. you know? I got why people didn't love it, but I didn't get why it was hated so much. Meanwhile, online... Cyberpunk 2077, because everything has to be Cyberpunk 2077 at the moment. <laughs> Five years in the making and launched with a presentation that meant people actually gave a shit about the E3 again. CD Projekt, makers of Witcher 3, are going to release Cyberpunk 2077 in April 2020. And they got Keanu Reeves to act as a spokesperson, offering open world <sighs> gameplay. <laughs> I'll get onto that in a bit. Opening open world gameplay, a ton of gritty future Cyberpunk punkery and one of the last celebrities left that hasn't gone through a scandal to play the role of johnny silverhand uh, which means nothing to most people out there but all the c all the cp people will know it uh it's a trailer of a cutscene, and that's conquering the world yep the game looks good mike pondsmith who is a absolute god amongst cyberpunkers is involved so it's going to be a solid build up on the world of the cyberpunk 2013 cyberpunk 2020 and cyberpunk 2027 the cybergen world it's very hard to tell how it's going to end up though because we're in the middle of the marketing hype phase and we've got some cutscenes and keanu reeves and people loving it because keanu reeves and yeah, I can't tell you very much about it because no one knows very much no. about it. But every fucker out there has a massive opinion on it. Yeah. And I spent five years of my life, I you know, on and off trying to come up with a thorough description of what is cyberpunk. I got it down to a 45-minute presentation that ends with me waving my hands and going, ish, kind of, if you look at it funny. What I didn't realise is I just all I needed to do to have a full comprehension of the cyberpunk genre was to watch one fucking trailer and then crank one out on a tweet. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, anyway. Twitter, honestly. So Twitter. the uh, the I never played any of the cyberpunk RPGs. I played Slay Industries once or twice after work at my old company. I never played that cyberpunk tabletop. RPG. Amazing. So, so I'm looking forward to this game. I will give it a shot. But because I'm not a PC gamer, I'd imagine it's not going to be immediately accessible to myself. I anticipate I have a lot to learn if I do. It's I'm interested out on Xbox as well. Ah, oh, interesting. So, so presumably be... it'll be out on Steam. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah, and I, whether you can I, play with a pad. I, don't I know. think it's not going to be massively complex to play. Hopefully not, because I just want an enjoyable experience. Like, I, I, the character creation, whether there'll Ooh. be single player options. I don't really want to have to fuck about with online dickheads, you see. They have made some news about the uh, character creation. Yeah. They want to have a have male, female and other... Um, Good. All that. They want to. They're not sure whether they will, but they've said they want to. Oh my god! Why didn't they just? Why did they even have I'm, to announce that? Why didn't they just do it and put it in? I'm 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 looking at it and I'm like, you said you want to. Now put it in there because it's not that complicated. It I mean, can't be. We're not talking about you know the 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 barrier for female avatars that is boob physics. We're talking about 
you just put it in and that because you're you're playing a a hardened edge runner right mm -hmm. now i know you're gonna look cool and i know you're gonna look swish but when you're wearing a set of max tack armor and you've got you know more guns than a than a gun shop in alabama strapped around your waist it's actually quite hard to tell the difference between a man and a woman. Like, surely nobody cares whether you've got a vajayjay underneath all that firepower. We're talking about a world where you can, f you can if you want. I've decided to load my consciousness into a pre-built body of a 12-foot fucking dragon. <laughs> I can breathe fire and I see the world through 12 drones flying above my head. Yeah, but is you a male dragon or oh. a female? <laughs> You're a brain in a jar. You are the ghost yeah. in the machine. Yeah. Your meat is meat and it is malleable and everyone knows the metal is stronger. And yeah, so <clears throat> you so, were saying. Yeah, um, I don't want to have to fuck about with online dickheads. I have to muck about with enough online dickheads talking about the damn game. I don't want to deal with them playing no. it. Do you know if there's been a single player? Oh, it's definitely single player story mode. Oh, thank fuck yeah, for no, that. Yeah, no, the whole, absolutely single player oh, story good. mode. I can't remember if it's multiplayer. I think there might be some multiplayer. Oh, I'm sure there'll be Whether some. Whether it's multiplayer story or multiplayer Friday Night Firefight, exactly. I don't know. At the moment, we're in the hype cycle. And part of the hype cycle about this has been trans issues related because a while ago, and I say a while ago because I've been following this story of the production of this game since it was first announced, which was about five years ago, so forgive me if I could, within the last five years, there was an incident on the Twitters where someone made a bloody stupid comment. So the, 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 the game account, the company account, made a bloody stupid comment that I'm not going to dumbass but it was a single dumbass comment and they apologized for it really badly they didn't apologize it was one of those i'm sorry if you were offended yeah, yeah. people make mistakes people make errors i could have been called to give cd project a break on that and gone okay they made one mistake fine yeah but they 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 they're basically injecting uh, trans representation issues and gender issues into the hype cycle and they're not doing it great and no. I'm like I think some I, I, it feels a bit usey yeah that's like, the thing it's... you know the whole mix it up post a penis thing I've, I think it, it'll be interesting to see whether that is the vibe and whether those game players who are usually abusive about shit like that are made to feel shit about their behaviour in game or is that art designer just talking shite are they, I don't know but there's a weird situation where cyberpunk is uh, the, the world of cyberpunk is an unpleasant world it's a world of, of consumerism gone out of control and corporations running everything i think the the argument i saw was yeah it's an exploitative poster because the corporations are exploitative so they're using exploitative image to sell their product it's not us it's us representing the world and you do have that if you're making an if you're making an unpleasant world and unpleasant things are happening, is that the artist trying to make that world? Or whatever? I just think that after they handled the original incident on mm. Twitter so bad, I think they're just trying to be edgy little fuck fuckers by at this point in the hype cycle throwing in other edgy bits on the same mm. topic. I'm just like, no, you got it wrong. You badly apologised, and yeah. now are you are you doing this because? you don't get that you did bad or are you doing this because you you know that everyone's going to be you know there's going to be a certain group of people that are going to be watching everything you do to see if you screw up again which is fair collar if someone's mucked up fine but they're also going to be I... people watching them say things and they're going to use that as ammo yeah. against an all-inclusive way of of going forward this game can only be positive if it is all inclusive i mean there will be loads of elements of this yeah. game open to criticism but yeah i genuinely hope that that character creation thing is going to be considered and i i, I just kind of wish they hadn't done the poster mix it up thing yeah. on social media they should have let the game speak for itself and that should have become apparent in gameplay right. it shouldn't be used as an advertising talking point that's a bit, it, it just feels a little bit usey right yeah that's what i'm saying yeah, and i yeah. don't know I don't know if that's them trying to be positive or them just trying to get more, you know, keep it up on, on the site. I mean, the, 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 there was a conversation I was having on on one of the cyberpunk groups, where someone just turned around and went, oh, "I'm fed up with all this. Um, I'm fed up with all this trans discussion. It, you know, I'm fed up with all the social justice warriors and the incels um, kicking off about this. 
we should just be talking about the gaming experience and that really got on my nerves because i'm like yeah well avatar selection is part of the gaming experience avatar (laughs) selection is when you pick the shell that's going to represent you in the game and if someone wants to play that game they should be able to pick a shell that they feel connected to so yeah there's you know there's people out there who want to want to play whatever yeah so let them have that pick because it's you know three cans of red pull and bull and an all-nighter and banks in the game and then suddenly a whole bunch more people are playing the game going fuck yeah i'm a cyberpunk warrior cucking can't get some which is cool so (laughs) inclusivity is part of the bloody gaming experience i mean i mean life sucks feeling like an outsider life is fucking hard don't make it fucking hard for other people be excellent to each other douchebags meanwhile at the convention i went to the british museum to see the manga exhibition so i'm going to paraphrase the british museum's opening blurb manga is a visual narrative art form that has become a multimedia global phenomenon telling stories with themes from gender to adventure in real or imagined worlds immersive and playful the exhibition explores manga's global appeal and cultural crossover showcasing original japanese manga pages and its influence across the globe from anime to cosplay and dressing I heard about this exhibition six months ago and I was lucky enough to receive an evening invitation to a private after hours viewing. <laughs> lucky! I am with royalty! <laughs> I was so excited. So I stayed I'm... at home and was an unemployed bum. <laughs> so I basically just hopped on a train <laughs> and I went straight to London after work. It was From great. Cambridgeshire. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I managed to wangle a plus one because they basically sent me two invites. So I logged Laura Watton and Laura Watton 2. Uh, <laughs> so... two of you? Tell me more. So I went one with a friend. Week, one for Sunday best. Oh, my God. Shut up. We both agree that the exhibition is astonishing. It's varied and it's fantastic. I really recommend it. Question: Given that it's at the British Museum, yeah. uh, did they buy all the stuff, or did they just go and nick some some poor Japanese kids' <laughs> manga collection no. and drag it over? It's the no. British Museum. They have a they have a theme. <laughs> so no, it's uh, there's, it's on loan from loads of publishers. Basically, right. they're protected behind perspex glass. Uh, a lot of the pages have been yeah. You can go up really close, but yeah, they are protected. So they slabbed the exhibition. Essentially. (laughs) Not perma-slabs. And they've got um, ropes surrounding the original artworks. Mm. Oh, there's there's some really good stuff there. So good. Didn't spot anything from Akira, though, so it's not that good. uh, Come on, there's so much manga, they couldn't have something from everything. I was honestly overwhelmed. Don't you shake your fist at me, young man. I was honestly, so I got to see some of my favourite manga works. I mean, the original Sailor Moon pages, mm-hmm. uh, Tomorrow's Joe, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, works from some of the most famous artists. Like they had Osamu Tezuka pages, mm-hmm. and they did have Dragon Ball pages, Akira Toriyama, Moto Hagio, who was part of the, what is it, is it year 24? Apologies, I've forgotten. There's a specific group of female manga artists that decided to show the guys that they could do the same stories, if not better. And they transformed girls' comics from the 1970s onwards. And it inspired a love for Akiko Higashimura's works. Uh, She did Princess Jellyfish, and I'm currently reading her comic Blank Canvas, her artist's journey, and it's blooming hilarious, really funny. So it was really inspirational as well because there was an artist who basically got drunk on rice wine and completed their historical commission of a fully painted kabuki theatre curtain. <laughs> like this theatre curtain is hundreds of years old and they basically completed this massive painting in four hours. Goals! <laughs> It's really funny. Is an ancient Japanese it was art. so perfect, honestly. So seeing some of the most famous manga cars completed work so close, it was so inspiring. And I was so happy for our small, tiny island nation who really doesn't have much of a, a love for comics overall, even though comics were basically created in Scotland. It's bonkers to see such a vast and varied collection of these works from abroad. I really do want to go to it when I when I get a chance. I I've been I was watching the coverage of it. It was very pleasing to have these things presented as a viable artistic endeavour, mm. as, a, as, a, as a viable thing to have. The way it was presented in the media and the way a lot of the media reacting to it 
wasn't, hey, hey, this is kid shit. I mean, it was a lot more, these are the works, this is art, it covers a lot of ground. But even if it is the kids' stuff, it's still deeply treasured. It was being in the same kind of veneration as like a original Disney exhibition. Yeah. Almost... It might be Donald Duck going, and it might be Donald Duck on Steamboat Boat Willie, but that's Donald Duck on Steamboat Willie, and that in itself is very cool. And that, and that I liked. It was it, a lot of profile raising. There was even a Carl Barks Disney uh, original art next to Tezuka's work, which showed that manga was very much influenced by work of Disney onwards. Mm. That was crucial, I feel, for visitors who didn't understand and didn't know. Oh, the, the, so, I, the idea that it's a uniquely and independently art It's a weird jingoistic way of looking at comics, whilst also at the same time shitting on and not supporting what comes out of your own country. I find that very odd. Mm. But it's great, so please go and see it, whether you're an artist or not. You know, I think you'll be inspired very much by what you see. I actually went with friends last weekend to visit this exhibit with them, two weeks after the opening date, and we didn't pre-book idiotically, and it was sold out, which is amazing. So, <laughs> so I'm so happy it was sold out. So I will go again in the future. So let's with go. Me. Let's go, definitely. Meanwhile in the workshop. Announce the secret project! Uh, okay, so finally I can talk about it. <laughs> so if you go onto any good bookseller's site, search for By the End of This Book, You Will Be Able to Draw Manga. What was, that? What, what was that title again? By the End of This Book, You Will Be Able to Draw Manga. Available from all good booksellers. <laughs> Very good. And it is true, because in the book... So this is the blurb. You will combine my tutorials with plenty of space to sketch. So it's a sketchbook as well as a workbook. You get to practice and develop your own ideas. And we covered how to create manga characters, layouts, stories, backgrounds, beautiful boys and dynamic girls, cute animals, and fun chibi pen and pencil techniques and basically the fundamentals of manga storytelling like different types of speech bubbles panel flow making your own like 16 multiple of four page comics so i worked all christmas just gone and all easter this year on this book <laughs> so, please take a look at it <laughs> so i hope you will find it interesting and motivating because it was a really fun mm project to work on i felt like i had a lot of autonomy with it it's published by octopusbooks.co.uk which i thought was a hilarious squishy chan relating thing not only will you find this book if you search for watton you will also hilariously find the Phillips street atlas for norfolk which also contains watton but it's not just me that's been working on projects Ooh. andy has been working on projects as well yes yes uh so first of all uh i've been continuing the trash or treasure what is Trash or Treasure? Trash for or Treasure listeners? is a weekly blog article thing running on bunkerzilla.co.uk where I take a movie and give it a review. I'm basically running it through the rinse, and bunkerzilla.co.uk have given me free reign to just hammer out whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, recent ones we've had Flesh Eater, the 1988 uh, zombie film that uh, finally answers the question is there any point in having a prequel to Night of the Living Dead and the answer is... <laughs> well, what do they call it? Day of the Living Dead? <laughs> no, Day of the... Well, we've got that. We've also got Funny Man has come out and we will soon have... We will soon have Six String Samurai uh, up on there. So that's bunkerzilla.co.uk That name again. Bunkerzilla.co.uk <laughs> You're happy now, Ian. Um... <laughs> And that's weekly, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, I also did a another big stomp with Bunkerzilla. That is where we go into depth about endings of TV series. And when I did a big about a two hour show, did a big um, end of season debate about Game of Thrones and uh, why some endings suck and why some don't. So that was pretty cool. Badges. I've had a slew of badges go out the door. They come out, which is nice. Three whole badge designs come up. I've got the uh, uh, CPAF badge has gone out. I also, for Bella Lugosi's Shed, that wonderful horror pod uh, done by Devalmont and H.J. Doom, uh, I've done, I'm going to take my first step into merchandising and released a badge for them so you can get a Bella Lugosi's Shed badge. Uh, and there's also the Sailor Moon badge, Drunken Sailor Moon, uh, which is going down quite well. So, yes, that's what I've been doing. Well done. Busy, busy. Busy, busy. Busy, <laughs> busy.
Superfortress Media Domination Committee is pleased to announce that Laura was on the BBC World Service <laughs> on the 29th of May, acting overtly as a UK representative for manga and covertly and covert agent for the forces of hardcore Genkiism. <laughs> so, Agent Pink Apple Jam, what can you report from your mission? <laughs> Salutes. <laughs> oh, it's such a lucky experience. So, my information was put forward to the BBC World Service by a mutual friend who also draws comics. Yeah. And since since 2005, I think it's fair to say any manga or UK comics related exposure opportunity all comes from other artists networking. Yeah. So, uh, in 2019, it's basically still the same in the UK. So, I was contacted by the BBC via this method. A date was arranged pre show questions were asked my questions were accepted off i went promptly shut myself in a comic shop in the coffee shop <laughs> didn't know that so bit. what was that you the coffee shop bit oh no i just kind of sat there kind of looking at the pre-show questions kind of going what sort of pre-show i mean how much detail did they give you well they basically asked me five questions and i thought that i was going to be asked what them the... and then when i got on the show they asked me completely different questions awesome. <laughs> so I was like, great and then two hours before two hours beforehand they were like oh yeah and you'll be drawing on television and i was like great great okay I did will... you have pens with you i had pens but i didn't have a good sketchbook so i got because <laughs> i was like you know carrying stuff around london so i basically said just get me some photocopy paper and that'll be fine <laughs> so i ended up drawing the I'll, house I'll, I'll be honest all i could all i could think of uh, while you were there while you were off doing that was that time some guy turned up for an it job and then got interviewed <laughs> about art oh, uh, on, live felt, on TV, I, felt that. I, I just had yeah, this vision yeah. of you being dragged into like the Daily Politic or something. Well, so, Laura, what do you think about the Hibernian question? So like, I'm, ah. I'm in the green room with um, Nicole Rousmanier, who was the curator of the British Museum, and she was so amazing uh, of the Japanese of the manga what exhibition. What was the green room like? It was a bit weird. So I'm talking about manga with this wonderful woman, and opposite some guys being interviewed about Chinese missiles. <laughs> I was like, "What is life?" One duff, is... one duff runner, and that could have been you. <laughs> what I thought was really interesting is that the interviewers actually speak like they speak on television, which what? on television works really well, but outside they sound a little bit like Troy McClure. <laughs> <laughs> it was really weird. <laughs> so oh, I studied my answers in that coffee shop that were accepted like the crammiest of cram school students. And I was stoked. It was in the afternoon immediately after viewing that manga exhibition. So my brain was basically full of manga. But yeah, so, so I was like, oh my God, my, my butt was clenched <laughs> throughout that entire interview, Jesus. But it was great. I was, I was really lucky to be there. Um, and I've obtained a clip and I've put it on my website on the events and press and bibliography page. So... Um, if you want to have a look, please do. And thanks in advance. So there you go. But it's just so nice to talk on the BBC, talking so seriously and passionately about making manga and drawing comics with not not just me, but like two other women, like three women on the telly talking about comics. It's like, yes, that that's cool. great. I was really, really happy with that. So we'll, we will be at Hyper Japan from the 12th, uh, Friday the 12th to Sunday the 14th of July 2019. Which will be all your stuff on sale and me just doozering around hopefully andy will be representing bunkazilla as well so if you Represent. if you have a weird cyberpunk man with a microphone that'll be him um so yeah because the tables are so small <laughs> i've been japan we can only really fit my stuff but also like it's the kawaii area so you know it's good um, desperately trying not to go broke from the bonsai store oh it's gonna well. be great i'll look forward to it i haven't been to hyper japan for about five or six years so it'll be lovely to see what it's like after that, in August, we will be at SunnyCon Liverpool. Yeah. Yay! At the Albert Docks Exhibition Centre, um, Saturday the 10th and Sunday the 11th of August. That's going to be when we both have a stall. Yeah, so. we will have two stalls, one next to each other. So oh, we're just going to bring everything. It's oh, going to be great. Hopefully have even more stuff out. And then in November... Uh-huh, Friday the 8th to Sunday the 10th of November, we will be attending as punters at Hibana Banana Con. Hibana Banana Con in Milton Keynes. Lovely event, great fun, went last year. I am down for doing a cyberpunk panel. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, my latest edition of A Brief History of Japanese Cyberpunk, uh, the hour and a half 
panels. Ah, is this a revised edition yes. of the one that you did at Minami? Yes, because you've always got to keep these things updated. Great. And I am down for doing the three-minute presentation challenge there as well. Fantastic. Which should be fun. Uh, so that's all the events we've got locked up so far. So far. Um, I will also be at the Will Adams Festival in September doing caricatures, but yeah. more on that on a later podcast. And an event I did manage to get to, uh, completely comics unrelated. I went to the first Pride in the, the first Pride event in Cambridge. Oh yeah! Um, there are a number of photos from that I have on my Instagram, Agony Man on Instagram, uh, and it was, uh, despite the awful rain, it was a really cool event. It looked amazing. Very well attended. Uh, love is love. Don't be an arse app. Rules for life. Yeah. Did you also know that this week is International Carers Week? <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> Me neither, which is pretty tragic considering both of my parents are carers. <laughs> so, yeah, so it ends Sunday 16th of June. So shout out to everybody supporting someone on PIP, disability, living allowance and all that bollocks in between because life is tough and you can do it. So get through it. So that's our update for June 2019. If you like this podcast, then please share it with your friends and rate us online. Uh, it really helps spread the world and we'll love you forever. We'll love you. Love you. The Hardcore Genki Podcast is available from raggedyman.net forward slash the Raggedy Jam podcast as well as on iTunes, Stitcher Radio and Pocket Cast. Uh, it's also syndicated on bunkerzilla.co.uk, the UK geek culture online radio channel. And as always, please send any feedback you have on the show to superfortresshg at gmail.com or tweet us at Hardcore Genki. Please do send us some feedback so we know you still love us and where we can improve the show, such as Andy Palmer requesting, quote, more existential anti-jokes and nihilism, please. Well, we shall try. <laughs> Thank you. Why did the chicken cross the road? Why did the chicken cross the road? Because free will is a lie and jokes are lies told to pretend there is purpose in this meaningless existence. There you go. Thanks, Andy Palmer. Yeah. Pink Apple Jam can be found at Pink Apple Jam Art on Twitter and on Etsy. And Raggedy Man can be found at Raggedy Man on Twitter and his needlessly aggressive products on Facebook and Etsy. So, till next time, goodbye, farewell from the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki. Bye! Bye.